Millie. Hey. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. Super. Okay, I have a question for the new episode. Hit me. Do you want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what glossophobia is? I do not. Enlighten me, dear friend. Okay. It is fear of public speaking. Oh, I have that. Do you? I'm a waterphobic. Glossophobic. Glossophobic. Yeah, but you're not alone. Okay. Three out of four people have it. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's scary as hell. <laughs> mm, yeah, but still, how do you manage? How do you? How how is a like studio recording microphone different than like a stage? Well, nobody can see me <laughs> when I'm okay. in the booth. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All yeah. right. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Welcome to The Human Voice Explained. My name is Joop Hegger. I'm a vocal coach for public speakers, singers, executives, and performance artists. In this podcast, I'm sharing how the voice massively influences our well-being and accomplishments every day, and how we can help it help us. Because no one's gonna hear us if our voice can't make them listen. Episode 2, Public Speaking Essentials, Part 1. Glossophobia, which is another word for fear of public speaking, is estimated to affect up to 75% of the population. One out of four individuals even feels like their fear of public speaking critically limits their career, social life and general well-being. On the other hand, public speaking is an essential part of accomplishing things in life. Studies find that, in communication, we're mainly judged by the quality of our voice. The exact numbers vary, but it's safe to say that our voice is responsible for 25 all the way up to 67% of our perceived value in communication. This means that our boss, colleagues, prospects, loved ones, friends, TED Talk audiences or whoever else is listening bases up to 67% of their judgment on our voice alone. And let's be clear, that does not include what we say, let alone how we look. Ever heard the phrase, it's not what you say, it's how you say it? Right. But even though individuals and companies spend vast sums of money on what they say and how they look, and even though only one out of four individuals experiences no difficulties while speaking in public, Few people seem to know how important the voice really is and how easy it can be to improve the way we sound and grow more vocal self-esteem. That's why today's story covers the essentials of speaking in public. You'll learn why the speaking voice is of critical importance to our accomplishments and well-being. You'll learn what a good speaking voice is and how to start getting there. And you'll learn what the most common public speaking pitfalls are and how to avoid them. Now, before we dive in, a quick note on beforehand. Some of the concepts I share in today's episode may be new to some listeners. If at any point you feel like you need some more background information, consider listening to episode 1, which is all about the basics. Also, my own voice still hasn't recovered entirely, but like in episode 1, I didn't want to keep this information from you any longer. So, if my voice sounds a bit creaky, that's why. And finally, whereas I originally intended for this to be one single episode, there are simply too many essentials to be told about the speaking voice, in my humble opinion. 
That's why I split the entire thing in two, sharing the first part today and the second part next week. And now, without further ado, the essentials of speaking in public. First question. Why exactly is the speaking voice of critical importance to our accomplishments and general well-being in life? Well, there are two main reasons for that. The first one is that the voice is never neutral. And the second one is that the human brain processes sound faster than visuals and language. Let's first look at why the voice is never neutral. Any voice reflects the state of the human body it's coming from. That's because the voice is made by at least 40 muscles and muscle groups in the body. Muscles act and feel different every time we use them, depending on how well rested they are, what time of day it is, what our nervous system is acting like, etc. And because the muscles we use to make the voice are scattered all over the upper body, the voice is a pretty good reflection of how the body is doing. And it doesn't end there. The state of the throat mouth and nose are reflected in the sound as well, giving away if the speaker is stressed sounding like this, or worse sounding like this, or relaxed sounding like this. If the speaker has a cold or sabbatical dish blocking a part of their nose sounding like this, or if they're letting air pass through their nose sounding like this. Now, I'm guessing that these examples of varying vocal sounds make sense to you. We all understand that a pressed voice sounding like this comes from a stressed human body. The simplified explanation for this is that anyone hearing the voice subconsciously mirrors in their own bodies what the speaker's body must be going through. For example, think about hearing somebody in enormous grief sobbing through their tears. Even just hearing the sound of that would make your own body react in some way. Even if you don't know them, you roughly understand what this person must be going through, and perhaps even feel your own mood turn sad, too. Now, in such an extreme example, you'd be able to actually witness your body reacting to somebody else's vocal sound. But in most cases, this is happening subconsciously. Which means that, even without noticing it, we make assumptions about how the other person must be feeling which, in turn, massively influences how we interpret what they say. Which brings me to something that blew my mind when I first learned it. Namely, the differences in processing speed for different elements of spoken communication. The human brain processes sound faster than visual information, and both of these faster than language. So, when we speak, Everyone within hearing distance starts subconsciously making a bodily impression of how we feel. Because sound is processed faster than visuals and language, this impression then strongly influences how our looks, visuals and content will be judged. Let me give you an example of how this works in real life. Many of my clients work in tech and are in the middle of their careers. These are typically very smart individuals experts at what they do. So, when they have to present their work, the content is usually very good. Typically, the visuals aren't bad either. But many of them tell me they're having a hard time getting the information across, because their audience simply doesn't seem to pay attention, even when the information is relevant for them. Which, to me, makes sense. 
Up until that point, they never paid attention to the way they sound, as a result of which their voice can distract the audience before their brain could have gotten anywhere near registering the content of the presentation. All of this may explain why the voice is responsible for up to 67% of oral communication value. If we can't find the right voice, that's going to negatively affect the listener's capability to understand what we're trying to say, even if it's plain data. Conversely, if our voice does an excellent job at catching the audience's attention and making them feel like they're spending their time well, chances are that they're going to positively interpret our looks, visuals and content. Okay, that pretty much covers the importance of the voice in accomplishing things. But how about the well-being part? How does our speaking voice make us feel better or worse? Well, this is partially due to whether our voice can do the job we want it to do. Remember those tech experts trying to get some data across? They were not particularly keen about their voice not being able to get their audiences to listen. Not being able to produce a voice that resembles their position did not make them feel great about themselves. But there's something else going on here too. If you listen to episode 1, you may remember the vocal feedback loop. And to those who are listening for the first time, here's a quick summary. It's not just others who are physically influenced by the sound of our voice. When we speak, we influence ourselves too. Because our physical state constantly changes ever so slightly, our voice will sound slightly different each time too, causing a feedback process. Hearing our body being in a particular mood strengthens that mood, which again influences the way we sound, and so on, and so forth. So, if we feel good, we hear that in our voice and start feeling better. That's great news, right? Yes, but for the 75% of individuals who experience some degree of fear of public speaking, this is bad news. If we are frightened or anxious about speaking, we will hear that in our voice, which will only make matters worse. Luckily, we can also turn this around. If we learn to control the way we sound, we can jumpstart a positive feedback loop, helping us to get calmer and in a better mood by simply hearing our own voice. If you want to learn more about how this works, check out the show notes of this episode. At the time of recording, only episode 1 would tell you more about it, but I'm planning to make and mention multiple episodes dedicated to vocal feedback loops, countering stage fright and glossophobia. Now, summarizing the first part of today's episode. When we hear somebody speak, in order to understand how the other person might be feeling, the first thing our bodies do is make an impression of the other person's physical and emotional state in our own bodies. This happens faster than our interpretation of visuals and language, meaning that the voice strongly influences how the speaker's appearance, visuals and words will be interpreted. Also, the speaker will hear themselves, and a similar process takes place, where the speaker intensifies their existing mood or physical state. This feedback process can be used to the speaker's advantage, if they learn to produce a voice that suits the occasion. Okay, now that we have a basic understanding of how the speaking voice works, we can start asking ourselves how we can judge if it works well, and how we can fix it if it doesn't. 
The attentive listener may have noticed that I just sneakily defined a good voice, capital G, capital V. And that's right, a good voice means nothing more than a voice that does the job it's supposed to be doing. And I mean that in a very broad sense. A voice doing the job may mean that listeners can easily understand the spoken content. It can also mean that the listener feels comfortable, inspired, bored, or scared, for instance. A voice doing the job can also mean that the speaker feels a reduction of stage fright or an increase in joy and confidence while speaking. And it probably means a combination of these things and more at once. That's why defining the quality of a voice or designing the perfect voice for the occasion is always a matter of prioritizing. What's the most important audience? What kind of voice would serve them best? And to what extent are we now hearing that voice already? In the second part of the episode, we're exploring these questions. We'll first look at who's listening and what they need. Then we'll see how that translates into sound by looking at the sonic building blocks of any speaking voice. Ultimately, we'll put the pieces together and define the perfect voice for a common situation. So who is the most important audience and what kind of voice serves them best? There are generally three groups of listeners, all of whom can have a conscious or subconscious opinion about whether a speaking voice is good or bad. The first group consists of one single individual, the person who's actually speaking. The second group consists of what I like to call profile audience. These are listeners whom the speaker can make a set of clear assumptions about, who they are, what their expectations may be, why they are there, etc. In other words, the speaker can make a profile of them and adjust their voice accordingly. Typical examples would be a family dinner or a team presentation. Think of the third and final group as the anonymous audience. These are individuals the speaker can hardly make any assumptions about, like your typical radio audience, the back rows in a theater, or random passers-by. Why is this important? Well, it helps us to imagine who we're trying to please, essentially, when we're speaking. All three groups of listeners can form an opinion about the voice. So really, if we're trying to assess whether a voice is good or not, it matters who we ask. It's not impossible to imagine a situation, for instance, where a speaker really loves their own sound, while the profile audience in the room may disagree. But who knows, perhaps a part of the anonymous audience listening to the conversation while driving home actually does like the voice. So how can we assess what these audience groups want or need from a voice? We can ask them, either in person or through our imagination, the questions who, where, what, why, and how. Who are they? Where are they? Why are they there? What do they want or need? And, most importantly, how should they feel afterwards? Answering these questions provides essential context for any vocal use case. This context, in turn, can be used to design a well-functioning voice for the occasion. In the tech presentation example I mentioned earlier, there are two audience groups, the speaker on the one hand and management sitting at the meeting room table on the other. For the sake of example, let's try running the context questions through both audience groups, starting with the listeners at the table. Who are they? Two-thirds male, one-third female, upper middle class and upper class, although one person has a working class background, cosmopolitan, liberal conservative, corporate, 
predominantly native English speaking and most of all busy. Where are they? They are at a table in a meeting room in their own company with see-through yet soundproof walls and air conditioning settings that aren't perfect for anyone in particular, but fine. Why are they there? They're there because they need to make a strategic decision and somebody somehow half convinced them they needed to know the data provided by the employee in front of them. What do they want or need? They want to get to understand the data as seamlessly as possible. How should they feel afterwards? Okay, here it gets interesting. It depends who you ask. If you would ask them how they would want to feel afterwards, they would probably say something along the lines of well-informed or simply good. But if you would ask the speaker, the answer could also be that they should be feeling worried because of terrible management in the past, or they should be feeling inspired by the apparent quality of their employee and their team, who all suddenly somehow seem to be in immediate need of promotion. Next up is asking the same questions for the audience that is the speaker themselves, starting with who they are. They are a 37-year-old, second-generation immigrant, PhD in a computer science niche with three young children and a sleep deficit. Where are they? In a meeting room at their employers with all exposing see-through but luckily soundproof walls and air conditioning settings that are just terrible. Why are they there? Because management seemingly hasn't been paying attention to the data at all during the making of their five, honestly, quite terrible decisions. And because, after some lobbying, this time they finally decided to hear the speaker out. What do they want or need? They want to have management get the importance of data in their decision making, to have them understand the meaning of the current data set, and to have them see why their team needs promotion or at least more resources. But also, they want to feel authentic and self-assured. So how should they feel afterwards? Relieved, taken seriously and empowered. Next up is prioritizing. Which audience is more important, the listeners or the speaker? If the speaker's job would be hanging on a thread, the listeners would probably be most important. But if the speaker would be on the verge of burning out, probably they would be more important. For the sake of today's example, let's say that both audiences, the speaker and the listeners alike, are equally important. Okay, after looking at the audiences and their relative importance, we can assess what job the voice should be doing. So, how do we translate this into an actual voice? Over the years, humanity has invented many names to translate vocal requirements into vocal practice, like projection, gravitas, depth, resonance, and tone of voice, just to name a few. But there's one major downside to all of these terms, which is that they lack a universally accepted definition in the context of voice. They have always been subjectively defined, which is a shame because sound, time, muscle action, and brain functioning, which are the main components of speech, are measurable. That's why I'll briefly introduce the most objective building blocks of vocal sound and vocal execution available today. I'll then use these to illustrate how we can design the perfect speaking voice for the occasion from scratch, or readjust an existing voice to do the job to the best of the speaker's abilities. 
I won't be doing any of this now, though, since this is the end of the first part of this two-part episode. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, you can email me at podcast at the vocal.coach. If you like what I'm doing, please follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen. My mission is to provide quality information and awareness about the voice to as many people as possible. And by rating, reviewing, or sharing the podcast, you make it much easier for others to find it. Should you want to improve your voice with professional assistance, improve your own practice as a vocal professional, or learn more about my background and work, visit thevocal.coach. This episode of The Human Voice Explained was produced by me, Joop Hegger, with a very special contribution by Melanie Hyams. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week.